Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. There is a housing problem in the United States that is severely exploiting the working class. The cost of housing has increased at a faster rate than wages for the last several decades. This difference in the rate of change can be entirely attributed to an escalation in profits by home builders, industrial landlords, and banks. The solution to every problem of capitalism is to remove the profit motive, and this scenario is no exception. Unfortunately, these entities have incentives to conjure an alternate explanation. The most prominent solution is to just build more houses. Well, duh, that's beneficial to your motives. This solution presupposes that there is a housing shortage. The housing crash that happened around 2008-2009 is partially to blame for this perceived housing shortage. As a result of the crash, home builders were less profitable, and this is largely owing to the fact that banks were unwilling to lend to various different consumers because after the banks got raked through the coals by effectively conjuring terrible mortgages, they had to actually ensure that people getting mortgages were qualified to get mortgages. So from a banking perspective, they were overly rigid with the standards and created a situation where, oh, we've collected all your pay stubs and it says here that you can't afford a $900 mortgage. So bye, and you're forced to turn around and go rent for $1,400. And this creates a debt cycle where it's not profitable to build new houses because there aren't enough people to consume affordable housing. There aren't enough people to consume affordable housing because there's a profit motive to ensuring that housing isn't affordable. So I'm going to ask a question. How many people do you think live in a household? The average U.S. household population? I'm going to say it's 4.2. Okay. I'm going to look that up right now. So 2.53 people. We're going to do some real quick math since that's what it is. It says on the internet that there is a hundred and... 29 million or 139 million housing units in the United States. So I'll click those buttons real quick. Times by two point, would I say five three? Two point five, I think so. Okay, that's 351 million people that are housed right now. So that's roughly the U.S. That's, population, right? The U.S. population is 328 so million. We have D D D D D D. What 22 million? No, vacant or unutilized. Houses or something? Houses, yes. Now, the, the other question is, is, is you know, how much of those are considered dormitoriums? How much of those are considered to be individuals in... Yeah, there's 139 million homes, housing units. So I guess I'm confused as to the housing shortage part of it. You know, I mean, yes, there's a housing shortage when you own three houses. Like, if you have a cabin and no one's living in it, yeah, it's a housing shortage because you're a fucking petite bourgeois asshole who can have multiple houses. That's the real concern. Stop allowing people to buy more than one house. So when all the neoliberals go and dance around a fucking meme that's like, well, what if what if we just built more houses? Wouldn't that be the solution? And then they all pat each other on the back and who cares? There's already enough houses in the United States. It's just not profitable to make houses that are affordable for the people that are not housed. Really, when they say housing shortage, what it really comes down to is there's not an incentive to have builders build houses right now. And they're trying to build, they're trying to create that artificial scare by saying that you should be buying a new house because it's going to be a housing shortage somehow. It's a good time to sell, which doesn't make any sense because one of the things, you know, they're saying things like you don't have to live in a big city. 
Now that's true. Those of us that have remote positions who don't want to have access to things in cities don't have to live in cities. Like you obviously if you can work remotely and program at Facebook, you don't have to live in an overpriced garage in San Francisco. You can work anywhere. But the issue is that there's a lot of people who live in cities who do work, not because, you know, they want to be close to corporate headquarters, but because that's where their work is. The veterinarian that works in downtown to take care of the animals that they call pets, they are not going to move out to rural America where there's no population density to supply them with enough income to live off of. Same with like orthodontists like, or your doctor's office. Like, like the things that are in cities with high populations exist there because there's a need for them there. It's not really that big of a population that can just walk off and become remote. It's really just a few white-collar percentages that can truly be remote. Even if a doctor who physically needs to see patients presumably to do their job i know they're doing like telehealth and prescribing whatever but that's let's be honest that's not actually being a doctor if you want to live somewhere else well your job is in the city where the people are you can't just move to a rural area and be like i do what i want well here's the other issue right i mean you talk about like you know a, a housing boom so a new building a house depending where you're at this assuming land let's say you go and they're calling it the exurbs or something dumb Let's say you do buy up an acre of like farmland for 10K, right? That's super cheap. You're going to live on that. And there's already, let's say, natural gas, electricity, and satellite over the fucking land. So it's it's developable, right? There's a dirt road. So you get super cheap land that's not $60,000, $80,000, $150,000, for a quarter acre of land in the city, right? Super cheap land. And it, you can develop it. And that's fine. Then you ask for a spot build. Okay, we're going to go get a spot build. We're going to get a builder to come in, get all the trades involved, everything you need to done. You get your mortgage or your loan for your house, assuming the price of the goods are going to be there. Right. You have things now like how do you pay for it? Because if the average income in your state isn't $100,000, like you can't afford a house that, that they're already recommending at $400,000. So what what's the what's the average income in, in let's say, let's pick, a, let's pick a state. Pick me a random state. Texas? Let's they're, not do Texas because right Texas now. is fucking freezing to death right now. Uh, let's choose uh, Colorado because they're hip cool with it while Col- they're in the center of the country. Yeah. Flyover country. The median income in Colorado is $35,000. Household, 72000 So what's what's the median home price in Colorado? As an average person in Colorado, you can't go and buy this imaginary plot of land that's cheap. Do a spot build. And just build affordable housing because guess what? That shit isn't affordable. And that's the whole problem. Yeah. Like, okay. So 43% is to your debt to income ratio on a house. But I think it's got to be less than, less than well, that. The, I the think bank wants it to be less than that to loan to you. 33, right? Yeah. Right? 33%. So so that means that your $400,000 a month thing is about, depending where you're at, let's just pick $2,500. Fuck, I'll just say $2,000 a month in mortgage. Okay, $2,000 a month in mortgage. Because, you know, we property taxes, whatever it happens to be, because uh, you have to put the shit in escrow. Divide that by 0.33. You're looking at $6,000 a month in income. That needs to be, dun, 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 $72,727, which is the median price, almost dead nuts, of a, of a household in Colorado. Now, the question is, if you make less than that, how do you buy a house? You don't, and that's the magic of profitability. The builder only wants to build a house if it will maximize their profits. It's not a coincidence that the average price of a house is what the average American can afford. 
and the builders have no incentive to worry about what the people that are not average can afford. Weird because normally that's what happens. Normally the house, the median house price will follow the median income and they're going to extract much out of you. But the problem will be how do you get the $20,000 you need down to buy the house? Well, you don't, which is why you keep renting. That's why you keep renting. And the only way for you to make that money back up. So $438,000 house. And let's say that you get an FHA loan. And at that amount of money, you're probably not going to roll anything in there. You're looking at $15,000 down plus another five dollars or $6,000 in closing, right? So twenty k. So where do you get twenty k from if you make $72,000 a year? And the answer is you don't get fucking twenty k. And this is the problem with affordable housing and the fallacy of a housing crisis, housing shortage. There is not a housing shortage. There is a lack of affordable housing and a lack of housing mobility. That's what there's a lack of. And there is no neoliberal policy that's going to change that because there's no market trends. There's no market forces that's going to make anything housing affordable. The reason why we have apartments and condos and townhouses is because the market force requires that they have a much cheaper housing option for a bulk majority of people. That's why. Or you've lived in the house for 60 years because you got into it when you know, you're a baby boomer. And then you wag your finger at people who can't afford a house now because because here's the thing. You want your housing price to go up 8% a year when, when payments and people's money only go up 2% a year. And you get so excited when the house down the block sells for 20% over because now your property value went up. Well, that just means you fucked over every young family that wanted to buy into your neighborhood because they can't afford the 20% over. And you get to pay more on property taxes. Yep. So if this problem were solvable by the free market, wouldn't there be a massive incentive to just build more affordable houses? Oh, wait, there is no incentive to do that because it's not fucking happening. If there was an incentive, you would see it happening, but there's not. So there are enough dwellings in general, but there isn't money in housing poor people. So there's there's enough housing for the bougie doctor to have a cabin, but there's not enough for the average person in Colorado to have a house that is accessible and in line with what builders are charging because builders want to make a profit and the entire system is set up with banking taking a cut and the builders taking a cut and the material suppliers taking a cut and the city is taking a cut for permits and all that stuff. And there's just all sorts of false incentives for everybody involved to not want to produce affordable housing because the intent is not to provide dwellings for people to live in, it's to make a profit. And it's just another vessel by which capitalism and exploitation for profits does not benefit anybody. So you can have the neolibs scream about, well, we don't have enough houses, so what if we just build more? Well, the builders could just fucking do that. But there's not a profit motive, so therefore they're not doing it. The census comes out and it tells you how many vacant homes there are. And we say the calculate we just estimated there was twenty two million vacant homes. There's like thirteen point nine million on record being vacant. And there's less than a million homeless people in the United States on, on paper. Now, how you define homeless, whether or not it's multi-families in one household, they're technically homeless. If you mean on the streets, that's a lot of people to be on the streets. So, that, you know, there's a definition of homeless that we got to, you know, really tear apart here. But if you if your family member lives with you, that family member is homeless. That's just what it is. They have no actual house, for the U.S. definition. And that means that there is almost like a 13 to 1 ratio of vacant properties to homeless people. This isn't even generally vacant buildings that are suitable for people to live in, for example, like hotels. 
as Barbara Bush would say, or was it Barbara Bush who's that dumb asshole? That the state this the stadium the stadium is, is better than what the most people had it after Katrina. Remember that? Yeah, fuck her. Do you think Dr. Jill's gonna say something like that with Texas? She's too busy painting hearts on the fucking White House lawn. So part of the point here is that the homeless situation could be trivially resolved by just taking the homeless people and putting them in the vacant buildings. But the other point is that after you allocate the homeless people, and let's say there's some sort of fudge factor where there's still ends up being 10 million vacant buildings that are suitable for housing, so why don't we put the other people that don't have access to affordable housing in those buildings? Well, it turns out the answer is profitability, which I'm sure is a huge shocker. It's actually more profitable to have these buildings sit vacant and be unrented than it is to decrease the general cost of renting. And this further persists, this divide where you can either afford to buy a house or build a house, or you're stuck in the rental debt cycle. You have to keep renting. Your asshole landlord keeps raising the rent just enough to keep you in this debt cycle because that's the entire profitability con is... They don't want to raise the rent too much because then they have to find somebody else to exploit. They want to raise it just enough so that as your wages just kind of marginally increase, your rent is going up and up and up and up, and they're making more and more and more and more money. And there's there's nothing out there that is going to incentivize these builders to either relinquish buildings that already exist that could just house people that are homeless or that are perhaps not you know worth a mortgage so there's going to remain this housing shortage and it's not a housing shortage it's a builder profitability shortage where there isn't an incentive for them to continue building to provide affordable housing and the the free market of builders they're not there is never going to be a scenario by which they out of the goodness of their hearts decide to take a bath and be less profitable than they otherwise could be because guess what there's going to be another builder that comes in and exploits somebody and makes money and so, so here's here's a way to look at this through the eyes of an activist you should be very very concerned when all of a sudden your local government decides that they're going to start focusing on you know low income housing or um, high density housing because it has nothing really to do with being helpful it has more about seizing i you know prime real estate somewhere and putting up a housing unit and they're probably going to be some sort of kickback to local builder not to say that we don't need high density housing because we do and not to say that we don't need low income housing because we do the question is, is what are we as a society going to give up in order to make it profitable for some asshole to build it? Because again, they're not doing this for free. So are we going to have things like no property taxes, which then take away funding for schools? Are we going to see things like the, the government's going to give them, they're going to pay for their uh, uh, property enhancements, like you know the parking or paying for sewer to be ran at the cost of the taxpayer? Right, or give them an incentive kickback in which they'll run the plumbing out for them, or uh, hastily change the zoning laws in order to get it passed quickly, or give them uh, let them buy a park for cheaper than what it's worth because they're going to put up housing. But all that really means is that the builder then just got a discount, and they're still going to charge the same amount of people to live there. It's not for free. 
luxury condos and luxury housing is not for low-income people. It's designed to be for high density to make as much money off you as possible. Really what it comes down to is you have to make sure that your city council is not trying to tip the balance of power to the builders. National Builders Association, whatever it happens to be, right? They're always pressuring more and more expansion, right? So, But if you're already at 99.9% built up in your city, where are they going to build at? Well, chances are they're going to ask for a park. They're going to ask for zoning permits to change things around. And, and if you really want to be active and do something about it, you just need to challenge every single zoning change that comes through in your city. If somebody wants to change zoning from commercial to residential in order to put up high-density housing, challenge it. Because there's no reason not to. Because there's probably not an incentive for you as a member of society to have that housing project go up. So there's two important reasons why a city council will basically give free shit away to builders. And both of them are exploitive and they're not actually benefiting the community. And this benefit to the community is what we're advocating for. But when a builder comes in and says, I want to build houses in this location... The city is deferring to the builder's desire for profit ahead of the city's interest in having a sustainable community or optimizing some other facet of society. So you have a builder. Let's let's do this first scenario is a builder owns a plot of land and let's say it's a shitty rundown strip mall that's not profitable for the builder anymore. It's zoned commercial. You, there can't be houses on it. The builder already owns the land. So they go to the city and they say, hey, we'd like to build houses here. And they wrap it in this idea of, hey, there's not enough housing, so we want to solve the problem. And then some shithead on the city council is like, oh, we're going to put affordable housing in the city. So then the city goes through and they rezone this strip mall. And they say it's residential and it's high density. And then the builder can come in and throw up super shitty cheap condos. And then people will come in and spend the same amount of money as if this building was three blocks over, two miles over, or whatever. And this is the, the second point is housing is inelastic. And we talked about this a little bit earlier with the veterinarians and the doctors. You have to live where you work for the most part. So depending on where the jobs are in your community, you need to work where your job is. And that means that there needs to be a finite number of dwellings for people to live in a given community to support the various different jobs that exist in that community. So when the city says to a builder, we want you to build high-density housing because it will benefit the community, the builder doesn't give a shit where this housing goes. They're choosing a spot that is most profitable to them. And there's no incentive for them to build in, let's say, a more desirable area because there's a finite demand of housing, and they, they're going to build 100 units. And whether they build 100 units in location A or 100 units in location B, they're going to make the same amount of money anyway because 100 people will buy houses there. The general public doesn't have the ability to choose somewhere else. These are the only 100 units available. So the builders have no incentive to optimize desirability or central planning or access to public transportation or anything like that. So when the builder goes, hey, we have this plot of land, city, we would like to build high-density housing there, and the city's like, oh, okay, this sounds great. We're going to do high-density housing. The city council has just committed to literally giving money to the builder to build a suboptimal location where the builder will make just as much profit as if they would have built somewhere that was more desirable for the city, perhaps at lesser profit for the builder. The literal neoliberalism 
And it's the entire housing shortage problem. Absolutely. You know, what What do we do about this? It really comes down to local activism. You know, you can't do everything, and everybody knows that. You just can't. One of, one of the important things here is that local activism will put the thorn in the lion's paw, and it makes them slow down. That's what it is. It doesn't take a thousand people protesting. It takes one or two people to throw a monkey wrench into the stamped process. There are lots of ways to get involved. You could read your local rag, the local newspaper that has to disclose when zoning laws come out, like zoning changes come out. You can go to city council remotely still, and you can ask questions as to how it benefits you know, your community. And you can challenge them on it. And you, they have to interact with you. And if not, you have the floor to talk shit all you want to. You can call them right out for it. You, you can do Freedom Information Act requests all day long asking for any documentation associated with the housing project that's going up. So you can do these, if you want to call them armchair activism things, just by asking questions. You can write letters. You can do that. And all you're doing is you're trying to disrupt the rubber stamping. Because what what happens is business as usual, and I hate those terms because the conservatives hijack them to hire what they're really doing. But business as usual means, oh, I have this. We need housing to meet some sort of planning requirement. That planning requirement was done by builders or or associates of builders who were on the on the committees. So always join a committee, and then they go through and they just try to rubber stamp the development without you knowing what's going on. So what happens is they put it in the newspaper. You didn't see it. The next the next council session they talk about, the next one to that, they approve it. And the key thing about local governments on this issue is that the local governments are controlled by lobbying interests. And in a lot of cities, one of the key lobbying interests is builders, whether it's commercial or residential. It's a component because there's a shit ton of money to be made in building dwellings. And... This happens for, I think, three main reasons. The first is that there's a clear profit motive for the lobbying groups to control local government. If they can control local government by having the government rubber stamp that they can build new buildings and at whatever cost, new road maintenance, they get a tax break, whatever. That's profit motive. They're into that. It's lobbying. That's why you lobby. The second is that if you're a random person in this community, what is your incentive to run for local office? There's none. The pay is generally minimal. It's a lot of time commitment. You have to deal with idiots. And like, there's not a lot in it for you. And then the third issue is that, in general, nobody gives a shit. Like, if, if you cares. were to ask any random person in a city to name the people on their city council, they, they probably can't name any. They might be able to name the mayor. But in most cities, it's a weak mayor, and the mayor doesn't actually do anything. They're just a member of the city council or... They're just kind of an executive figurehead that does nothing as well, depending on what your local government structure is. So those three things culminate to basically permit the city council to be controlled by lobbying interests. There's no check on anybody locally caring. And so long as the lobbying interest doesn't do something egregious, nobody will ever care. And this is why you get these shitty high-density housing projects that go up in a completely undesirable space with a complete corporate handout and then everybody sits around and pats themselves on the back because guess what we solved the housing shortage by building more housing and that's the most obvious and great answer let's run for office all right so how do we get you in the office well the issue is that power preserves power a lot of times at every level 
And this is why we talk about trying to run every seat you can all the time. Because the more we get people to run for city council, uh, county uh, officials, the sheriff, fuck it, who cares, gets on the library board, all these areas, the, the more likely it is that you can find a seat, get on there. Because what happens is a lot of times candidates are sought out and chosen because there's a vacancy coming up and they're chosen by some group. Chamber of Commerce has a member that, oh, we think would be great. So what do you do? You put them on boards. You put them on committees. You get them active in the community. You start getting blurbs about them in the newspaper. Not because they're good people, but because they know what it costs and the infrastructure required to get people elected. And in order to get people elected, you really have to have firepower behind you, which is why we have to build local networks like left networks in the area. We have to really get you know, the leftists at least knowing who their candidates are and flowing money into donations and flowing in, you know, funding, like like a left fund that needs to be set up in order to get people to grow into these positions. So when, when we say power preserves power, it really comes down to is, is you have to disrupt it somehow. The only way to disrupt it is come out as a strong candidate. It means to break up and you know, try to you know, knock down the candidates that are basically being anointed by these lobbying groups. Because lobbying at the local level isn't me writing a check to a local candidate. It's the support network that's in place to get them elected. It's the lunches that they have. It's the meet and greets. It's the, I can I can introduce you to this fucking dickhead, right? It lets you be in parades. It lets you get part of the Chamber of Commerce. Oh, look at this. You get to go to these cool little other events that we're having. And now you have a wine tasting party with these other high profile people. It's really about the interconnections, which is a lot different than we think of state and federal election, which is about amassing lots and lots of votes. Here it's about connecting, connecting to small groups so that those small groups support you. And this is what they bring to the table. They say stuff like, you know, have you met Frank? Well, Frank is the chair of the local baseball team. So now what's Frank going to do? He's going to whisper to all the parents that you're a good candidate. Have you met Susie? Well, Susie's the head of some large church in the area. What's Susie going to do? Susie's going to whisper campaign around that you're the good candidate. Do you know Karen? She's the person that calls the police on random black people she sees in the neighborhood. Have you met so-and-so? Well, they have a large Facebook following, right? So it's, it's what these lobbying groups do because power begets power because they know in the long run they can spend 20 minutes a day and at the end of the day they get these large, huge building contracts because that's how the game is played for future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement join us at workermovement.com